What's up, everybody? This is Pastor James, and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. I apologize for not posting this earlier, but I had a cold last week and was trying to save my voice for a wedding that I had to do over the weekend, as well as preaching on Sunday morning. So, I'm uh, posting this for you now, and I will try to have our other Bible study for today posted later on this afternoon. But we are starting 1 Corinthians, and I always like to do a little introduction of the book before we start in the first chapter. Uh, For me personally, understanding the main theme, understanding the history, uh, understanding the cultural setting, was such an enormous part of me understanding the passage of Scripture inside the book. And so let's look at some key facts about Paul's epistle to the church in Corinth. And uh, hopefully this can help you better understand the book as a whole as we begin to dive into it over the next several weeks. So, first of all, uh, the author of 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul. We've already covered the book of Romans, so in in the order that the books of the New Testament appear in the Bible, this is the second book in the New Testament that Paul writes, and uh, this is uh, what we have today. So 1 Corinthians is just one of 13 books in the New Testament that Paul authors, and uh, this credits him to half of the books in the New Testament. So you just need to remember when you're reading the New Testament, Paul writes half of it, um, and there are letters written to the churches uh, to the to the early churches in the New Testament, dealing with problems and issues that they were going to have. Now, uh, which is exactly why we have Corinthians. I mean, it was a church that Paul had established uh, through his missionary journeys. Uh, it, it had its problems, and so we're going to talk about a lot of those. Now, Corinth, the city, was arguably the most important city in Greece during Paul's ministry. It was extremely wealthy. It had endless amounts of luxury as the men spent their time in competitions with one another and giving speeches and uh, doing oracles and things like that. Um, The need to work for day-to-day survival had been removed as the people had focused on activities of leisure, and you kind of see that in what they focused on. So their city focused on culture, art, schools, philosophy, things like that. And word of their wealth and luxuries had spread as many people from all over came to visit the city and experience what it had to offer. And as you can imagine, just like a country with a vast array of ethnicities, you also have a vast array of religions. But Venus was the primary god of the people in that city. It was kind of like the original god of the city, even though more had came in as other people came into the city. Uh, but the other gods of Corinth were gods of pleasure and lust, and public immorality was rampant among the people of the city. And the immorality of the people uh, was one of the main attractions to the visitors coming in from all over the world. And from what we read in Acts chapter 18, and we can deduce from other sources, Paul was about 50 years old when he entered into Corinth for the first time. And he began making tents, uh, and he works with Aquila and Priscilla doing that, and you see that. Uh, in Acts chapter 18. Paul spent about a year and a half in Corinth. So from about 51 AD to 53 AD, Paul spends a year and a half somewhere in there supporting himself and living on the money that he earned from his tent making. And he began ministering to the people of Corinth by speaking in the synagogues to Jews and Greeks that were already worshipers of the one true God. So these people, they, they uh, they practiced Judaism. They believed in the one true God. So Paul merely just convinced these people that Jesus was the Messiah that they were already looking for. So 1 Corinthians 
is actually the second letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, which is really fascinating. Um, You can tell by the way it's written, and there's different things, where Paul had written a letter to this church previously. So we only have 1st and 2nd Corinthians, so 1st Corinthians is actually the second letter. Then Paul wrote a third letter, which we don't have, and then 2nd Corinthians is the fourth letter that Paul wrote. So that's just kind of an interesting fact to realize that we only have two of the four letters that Paul wrote to this church. And it's unique that in this book, 1st Corinthians, that we're studying right now, is that you see... Lord attributed to Jesus throughout this letter. It's one of the most common ways that Paul refers to Jesus is referring to him as Lord. And it's said uh, that the reports had reached Paul that some of the believers in the church in Corinth did not recognize Jesus as Lord. So they, they put their faith in Jesus as Messiah at first. But by this time, by the time that Paul hears about this, many of them had taken their faith out of Jesus as Lord and had started allowing things of the world to creep into their church. And so Satan had driven a wedge between the people on a major part of the doctrine of Christianity almost as soon as Paul moves on to minister in a different place. And so, you know, Paul was ministering between 51 to 53 AD, and 1 Corinthians is written around 53 to 54 AD. So almost as soon as Paul leaves, he's having to write this letter to counteract some of the some of the uh, wanderings of the people in the church in Corinth. And so not only was there this major issue with their theology about Jesus being Lord, but many of the pagan practices of that city um, had crept into and chipped away at this newly formed church. And it is important to remember that, you know, when you think about this early church in 1 Corinthians, Everybody there had only been saved for a, at most two years. I mean, like, can you imagine putting people who were only saved for about two years, making them leaders in the church, making them teachers in the church, making them elders in the church, and, and giving them responsibilities, and knowing that all of those people, for the most part, are still pretty spiritually immature because, hey, I've been saved 20 years, and there's still things that God's working in my life in. And so, <coughs> excuse me, you know that a lot of these people in Corinth were still spiritually immature people. Now, <coughs> in this epistle, Paul refers to Jesus as Lord numerous times to, affir- to affirm his divine title, but Paul also addresses a lot of issues with Christian conduct throughout this book. So in the 16 chapters that we're going to read in the next several weeks, Paul deals with division in the church how to accept and respect leaders in the church, spiritual pride, avoiding lawsuits with Christians, sexual sin, instruction on marriage, food sacrificed to idols, idolatry, order for public worship, order for the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, how the body should function, that's the body of Christ, orderly worship again, and then the resurrection of Christ, our resurrection, and the giving of money, and then his own personal greeting at the end, and we'll talk more about this in just a moment, but But just understand that there's a lot of things that Paul is having to deal with because these are some pretty spiritually immature people. So, 1 Corinthians is a book that is written to a lot of young Christians. It wasn't their fault, 
but they were all young in their faith and they were dealing with stuff. They were working their faith out as they moved through this and Paul is helping them with this letter. They needed to be reminded of truth and corrected where they had gone wrong and Paul does just that. So, let's get started. Let's read the introduction. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 and then we will talk a little bit about it. So it says, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Sosthenes. I am writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All right. So in verse 1, we see who this letter is from. It's from Paul and a brother in Christ named Sosthenes. Uh, More than likely, Sosthenes is the one who is writing the actual letter as Paul is telling him what to say. And uh, we can really come to this conclusion for sure because of the end of this letter. So if you go to chapter 16... Paul sends a final greeting at the end of chapter 16, and he says, I write this with my own hand. And so some people have a really hard time with stuff like this. When I was first saved, and I was really reading Scripture and trying to get to know um, Scripture better, it really bothered me that, you know, Paul's attributed to writing this, but maybe he wasn't the one that wrote it, that Sosthenes was the one that wrote it. And, you know, you just have to come to terms with the fact of Paul is one of the most important people in all of history. He was very busy. His ministry, when you think about pastors now, even someone like Billy Graham, um, pastors of these very large churches, it's just different from how most of us understand it. So if you're listening to this podcast, more than likely you're familiar with a small church, a hundred people, maybe less. And you know, the way that a church works, the responsibilities of a pastor are just very different than the responsibilities of a pastor who leads a church of a thousand people or 10,000 people or even 50,000 people. And so when you think about someone who's responsible for 50,000 people, they just cannot operate the same way that I operate a church of around 130 people. It would not work. And so it doesn't mean that their calling is watered down. It doesn't mean that they're not doing what God's called them to do. It just has to be different. And when you talk about Paul, a man 2,000 years ago who was going around, whose ministry spanned tens of thousands of miles. Now let me say that again. Paul's ministry spanned tens of thousands of miles in a day and time with no phones, no internet, no way of communication other than through letters being sent by people which took an extremely long amount of time or just personally visiting himself. So Paul establishes hundreds of churches along his path of ministry over tens of thousands of miles. He's leading thousands of people in a day and time where it would seem almost impossible to do so. And so Paul has extremely large fish to fry. And so for him to be able to tell Sosthenes what to be writing and Sosthenes to actually write it is pretty common when you look at people who are responsible of very large things or a lot of people. They have a lot of people working under them who does their bidding for them. And Sosthenes is working under Paul doing Paul's bidding, doing what Paul asked him to do. So it's a very common thing 
um, for people who are extremely important and extremely busy. So don't think too much into it. These are still the words of Paul. Paul is still telling Sosthenes exactly what to write. And, and Sosthenes is writing this letter like it's coming from Paul himself because it is. Paul's saying what to be written down and Sosthenes is just writing it down. So, in this letter, Paul explains why he's writing the letter. The people have been called by God. And it's very important to understand that in verse 1, Paul also states that he was chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And it's important to realize that Paul is not being prideful in this moment. Paul is not proclaiming himself to be anything that he's not. He's merely proclaiming what God has called him to be. Paul didn't choose this. God chose him. And in the same way, Paul also talks about the people of Corinth who were also called by God. They were chosen to be his own holy people. And so it's not a matter of him elevating himself. It's a matter of establishing God's will and God's purpose. And for these people in Corinth to realize that God's will triumphs all things. God has called Paul and chosen Paul, and God has called this church, and he has chosen this church to be his own holy people, made holy by the means of Jesus Christ. And he's affirming that Jesus is the only reason that these people have access to God. Jesus is the Messiah. People everywhere must call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be made holy and to have access to the Heavenly Father. And without Jesus, there is no access to God. And so in, in three verses, we see that grace and peace are only available through God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And in these first three verses, don't forget how many times Paul has already referred to Jesus as Lord. So far, we've read three verses, and so far, Paul has referred to Jesus as Lord three times. This is a big deal. This is a common theme that you're going to see throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. Jesus is Lord. We need to understand that following Jesus means submitting to Him as Lord or Master of our lives, and we are no longer in control, but now He is in control of us because we submit ourselves to Him. And that's important because what's happening is, is that the people in the church in Corinth have turned away from acknowledging Jesus as Lord so that he's no longer in control and now they are in control. Now they can choose what they want. They can choose to live in sin. They can choose to worship false idols. They can choose to indulge in sexual immorality. They can choose to do all these things. And this is why the book of 1 Corinthians addresses all those issues, because the people had rejected Jesus as Lord and engaged in sinful worldly behaviors that the people in the city of Corinth, it was very common for them to be doing. So this is what we're seeing. So let's read verses 4 through 9, and uh, we should finish up with here today. So let, let's read this together. It says, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way, with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end 
so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for He is faithful to do what He says, and He has invited you into partnership with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. All right. So verse four, verse 4 affirms the understanding of what it means to call Jesus Lord and that we serve Him as Master. And Paul thanks God that these people now belong to Jesus. And you got to notice the permanence and order of submission in the idea of belonging to someone. Verse 5 talks about God enriching these people. Now, Paul is beginning this letter with comforting words. He isn't opening up his letter with snide remarks and a list of all the things that these people are doing wrong. He's going to get to all that later, but he's talking about how God has enriched them. God wants to make their lives better. Um, He also talks about their eloquent words and all of their knowledge because this was very important to the people in Corinth, that they were knowledgeable, that they were able to speak well. And you got to remember that the entire city of Corinth They put a huge emphasis on education, philosophy, speeches, all those things. And Paul talks about God has enriched them in these things and how it proves that what he told them about Jesus is true. He states that they have every spiritual gift that they need as they eagerly wait for the return of Christ. So, you got to remember this. This is important. We're going to read a lot about spiritual gifts in this book. It was a really big deal. And you have to understand that you're talking about a a church, a group of people who were saved for no more than two years, who Paul affirms that they have every spiritual gift that they need as they eagerly wait for the return of Christ. And they were struggling in sin, and they were struggling in their theology of acknowledging Christ as Lord, and yet they had spiritual gifts. So it's amazing to see that Jesus empowers these people and he gives them gifts of the Spirit even though they're not perfect. They're not what they should be. They're not spiritually mature Christians. And so they have all these gifts. They have all these things that God is doing among them that God's already done. Paul is affirming all this. He's reminding them of this. And you, and you got to remember that during this time, as Paul is writing this epistle, they were still 100% convinced that Jesus was coming back during their lifetime. There was no question in their mind about it. So Paul is talking about these spiritual gifts as they eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ as Lord. They were expecting Jesus to come back. It was going to happen during their lifetime, and they fully believed that. So this epistle is still written early enough where that's very much the mindset. Now, in about 20 to 30 years after this epistle was written, people start to wonder why Jesus has not come back yet, and then the apostles begin to write passages talking about why Jesus has delayed his return, why that has not happened yet. And so you see that, and those are things that we can cling to. So you got to be really careful when you're reading this passage because it's still very much like... um, really upfront and boldly proclaiming the return of Jesus Christ at any moment. And then some of the the, the latest apostles or, or later later epistles, I'm sorry, the later writings in the New Testament start to deal with the issue of why Jesus has not returned and why Jesus may continue to prolong his return. And so you need to understand that. This is one of the early epistles. It talks a lot about the return of Christ, and, and it really proclaims it as it's going to happen very soon. And so you see that in here. And Paul affirms 
Christ's ability to keep them strong until the very end so that on the day of judgment, they will be completely blameless. God has invited them into his family as children through his son, Jesus Christ, and God is faithful and will keep every aspect of his promise as long as we as people are faithful. And so this is very important to understand that Paul is calling these people in Corinth to be faithful in the calling that Christ has put on their life, to come out of the world, to be holy, to be blameless. And God has given them everything that they need to come out of the world and to be homely and to be uh, to be blameless. He, he's called them to that. And he's given them everything that they need to accomplish it. And he can sustain them. But they have to choose to do it. I mean, you have to choose to live for Christ every day. Any given day, we can wake up and we can choose sin or we can choose Christ. We're never separated from that 100%. We won't be separated from that until the day that we die and we join together with Christ in eternity. And so as long as we live and breathe, the opportunity for sin and rebellion is still there. We have to make sure and be very careful in our lives that we wake up and choose Christ every single day, that we're going to follow him, that we're going to obey the calling to be a holy and blameless people and to have faith to know that it is possible. He's given us everything we need to do it. That's that's so huge. And so this is part of what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians that, that Paul talks about. God has called you to do these things. And as you interact in life and you deal with these different situations, you can still be holy and maintain uh, this this pure and holy relationship with Christ in doing this because He this is what he's called you to do, but he's also provided you with the ability to do it. Okay? Well, that puts us at the end of the introduction, and it's probably a good place for us to stop today. And so um, later on this afternoon, I'm going to try to record the second half of chapter one, so you'll have uh, what is tomorrow's Bible study, um, and we'll be caught up. And so again, I do want to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, Let me pray with you, and I'll let you go. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day, for everything you bless us with. Jesus, I ask that you would watch over us and guide us in our lives. Help us to follow you and to serve you and to choose you every day. Lord, as we read passages of Scripture, help us to understand the context, to realize that these were people whom you saved. You sent your Holy Spirit. They had gifts of the Spirit. Um, And everything was provided for them to, to be sustained and to be blameless until your return, until they stood before you in judgment. But God... um. You needed Paul to write them letters and remind them that they were called to be holy. They were called not to give in to sin and temptation, not to interact in the world the same way that the rest of the world acts, but to be different. And Lord, you've called them to uh, rely on Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. So help us to do the same. Help us to serve you well in all that we do. We love you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We thank you for being a part of the Graham Chapel family. And if you can't make it on campus this weekend, uh, make sure you catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. We love you. We're praying for you. Have a great week.